to the news magazine on the America Out Loud Network. I'm Alana Friedman, and this is The Friedman Report. Well, 2020 is on the way out, and 2021 is on the way in. And many would say it's about time. Good riddance. Because for far too many people, 2020 was the year from hell. It was the year of the pandemic, the year of the impeachment trial of Donald Trump, and the year of the most corrupt and unconstitutional presidential election in American history. Let's begin with the virus. Because of all the stories, this one was the one that colored our lives more than any other. The very first report I heard about the virus came from a trusted source who told me in early January that there had been an accident in a biohazard lab in Wuhan, China, and that a dangerous virus had escaped. My source told me that we had better prepare for a pandemic, and he gave me advice about storing water and wearing a mask to protect my eyes and nose and mouth and not going out and so forth. This was something that I had really never thought about in these terms or in such personal way. But I began talking about the coming pandemic on my January 15th show. And I wrote an article about it called, What is China Hiding? The Real Story About the Coronavirus. And that came out on America Out Loud on January 27th. You can find it on the website. By that time, according to the World Health Organization, The United States had five confirmed patients with the virus. And on January 31st, President Donald Trump blocked all travel from China to the U.S. From the beginning, the World Health Organization took the lead in informing the world about the virus, and the Center for Disease Control followed their information pretty closely. Only too many times from the very beginning, They misled us and the world. Their first situation report came out on January 20th, and it reported highlights from December 31st, 2019, to January 20th, 2020. In that first report, they wrote that on the 31st of December, 2019, the World Health Organization China Country Office was informed that they had seen cases of a pneumonia of an unknown cause that had been detected in Wuhan City in the Hubei province of China. They further reported that from December 31, 2019 through January 3, 2020, a total of 44 patients were reported to the World Health Organization by the national authorities in China. On the 11th and 12th of January, 2020, The World Health Organization received further detailed information from the National Health Commission in China that the outbreak was associated with exposures in one seafood market in Wuhan. It wasn't just a seafood market that they were referring to. It was what they call a live animal market, and we've talked about it before, and they're really quite disgusting. But in any case, the Huanan Seafood Wholesale Market in Wuhan City was closed on the 1st of January, 2020, in order to receive what they called environmental sanitation and disinfection. Now, that was to prolong this myth about the infection originating in the live food market. 
The food market was actually eight miles from the real source of the infection, and we'll get to that in a minute. It was disinformation coming directly from the CCP, the Chinese Communist Party, which is the essentially the government of China. And they already knew the source of the virus, and it was not from a live animal market. In fact, the Wuhan Institute of Virology is a level four biohazard lab where they study the most dangerous viruses known to man. And the person most closely involved with this research relating to the COVID-19 virus is a scientist known as the Bat Woman. Her real name is Shi Zhengli, and her passion was traveling all over China to find bats for her study of viruses. The COVID-19 is believed to have originated in bats. But the Chinese authorities, intent on continuing their disinformation campaign, announced that they had identified a new type of coronavirus, which was isolated on January 7, 2020. On January 12th, the World Health Organization claimed that China had shared the genetic sequence of the novel coronavirus with them for countries to use in the developing of special diagnostic kits. We later found out that this was false information and that the Chinese had in fact refused to share any data on the virus. Then on the 13th of January, the Ministry of Public Health in Thailand reported the first imported case of lab-confirmed novel coronavirus from Wuhan. Then two days later, the Ministry of Health, Labor, and Welfare in Japan reported an imported case of laboratory-confirmed 2019 novel coronavirus from Wuhan, China. On January 20th, National IHR Focal Point for Republic of Korea reported the first case of novel coronavirus in the Republic of Korea. And so, bit by bit, the virus spread. As of January 20th, there were 282 confirmed cases of the novel coronavirus reported from four countries, including China, Thailand, Japan, and the Republic of Korea. Now, we already knew that the numbers from China were wrong, very misleading, because by mid-January, we had seen videos of hospital corridors jammed with frantic people seeking medical assistance, of people simply dropping in the street, unable to walk another step. We also knew that the Lunar New Year was about to occur on the 25th of January, and this was a time when the Chinese people traditionally travel. I already had reports that the Chinese had allowed 5 million people to leave Hubei province to travel to other parts of China and abroad. I began writing and broadcasting reports on the lies coming out of China, how the CCP had forced a doctor to stop discussing this new virus that he had discovered with his colleagues, and of how he died of the disease himself, only weeks later. I wrote about how field hospitals were being built in Wuhan, each with a thousand beds, and how many thousands of people were dying and their bodies were being rushed to more than 70 crematoria in Wuhan. These crematoria were working 24 hours a day, seven days a week, just trying to keep up with the rapidly rising rate of deaths. And I also talked about how the city of Wuhan was being sealed so that no one could enter and no one could leave. 
and about how 25 million cell phones suddenly went dark. The numbers coming out of China couldn't possibly be true. They were too low. But the head of the world organization was closely aligned with Xi Jinping, and he obediently repeated whatever she told him to say. The point here is fairly simple, and it's part of a much larger picture. China is in a war with the United States to dominate the world and take America's place as its economic leader. And China doesn't play by the rules. That, my friend, is an understatement. If you've been following the Friedman Report, you already know that the Chinese Communist Party has imprisoned more than a million Uyghur Muslims in hundreds of re-education centers in Xinjiang province in China's northwest. A spokesman for China's United Front Work Department told a UN panel, quote, Xinjiang citizens, including the Uyghurs, enjoy equal freedoms and rights. There is no arbitrary detention or lack of freedom of religion or belief. He said there are no such things as re-education centers. But he added that criminals convicted of what he called minor offenses have been assigned to, quote, vocational, educational, and employment training centers with a view to assisting in their rehabilitation, unquote. China has turned lying into an art form. But first-hand reports from people who have escaped from China after having been imprisoned in such camps have reported 24-7 surveillance, torture, rape, forced abortions and sterilization, and even organ harvesting at these camps. And beyond the camps, Uyghurs are forced into slave labor to work at factories across China manufacturing products for international markets. You may even have bought some of them. The Chinese, as I said, lie. They lie about the Uyghurs, and they lie about the coronavirus. And the reward for their corruption and their lies is that in October 2020, China, one of the world's biggest practitioners of massive human rights abuse, was admitted to the United Nations Human Rights Council, and China now sits alongside of other countries also known for their being champions of human rights, Pakistan, Cuba, Libya, Venezuela, and Afghanistan. But that's another story for another day, and we'll get to it one day, because it's a big story. But let's get back to the year 2020, the virus and the lies. At first, they called it a new coronavirus, but that's a generic term. So they called it the novel coronavirus because it was new. Then they named it the NCOV, acute respiratory disease. But that was too cumbersome, so it was later changed to just COVID-19, or unofficially, but a favorite of our president, the China virus. The first case outside of China, as I said, was confirmed on January 13th in Thailand. The first case to show up in the United States appeared on January 20th. Now, we needed to know more or less what we were dealing with, so we turned to the World Health Organization for guidance. On January 10th, World Health Organization reported that Chinese scientists had identified the, quote, flu, unquote, to be a coronavirus. That same day, 
who tweeted that it had received the genetic sequence for this new coronavirus from the People's Republic of China, and they expected these to be publicly available soon. To the best of my knowledge, that never happened, or if it did, who never shared it with anybody else? Because we, the United States, kept asking for it, and China kept saying no. The next day, on January 11th, the Chinese authorities announced that a man had died from the virus. But the WHO was silent, and they stayed silent until the end of January. Then, on the 21st of January, they began to publish a daily situation report, or SITREP. And the very first one of these, number one, reached all the way back to the 31st of December and covered very briefly what had happened since then. Finally, on the 30th of January, the WHO declared that the outbreak was, quote, a public health emergency of international concern, unquote. Then time went by, and it wasn't until March 11th, five and a half weeks later, that they issued this profound statement. Quote, WHO Director General, in his regular media briefing today, stated that WHO has been assessing this outbreak around the clock, and we are deeply concerned both by the alarming levels of spread and severity and by the alarming level of inaction. Do you suppose they ever questioned their own inaction? He went on to say, WHO therefore has made the assessment that COVID-19 can be characterized as a pandemic, unquote. And about time, too. They were so deeply concerned that they waited for nearly a month and a half to decide that it had become a pandemic. It's absurd. By March 11th, there were already more than 118,000 confirmed cases and nearly 4,300 deaths in 113 countries. A pandemic? You bet your life. Where in the world had they been? And then on the following day, amazingly enough, March 12th, they added this. This is a controllable pandemic, unquote. Now, nine months later, we are far from controlling it and just beginning to administer vaccines to help mitigate it. So that's the WHO, the World Health Organization, that has done practically nothing to make a difference in the progression of this pandemic. It seems that they're more concerned with keeping a tight relationship with Xi Jinping than with saving lives. But let's stop for a minute and take a look at our own government voice. Dr. Anthony Fauci, director of the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases. His advice and his answers to excellent questions about the virus have been inconsistent, to say the least. He has changed his mind on issues like how to treat the virus, whether masks are a good idea. He said no, and then he said yes. He has criticized school openings, but in an interview on ABC's This Week, he said... Close the bars and keep the schools open, unquote. Then during a CNN interview, he was asked why social distancing and lockdowns weren't recommended earlier. And he said, quote, more lives obviously could have been saved if there hadn't been pushed back to lockdowns when the pandemic first started. But I guess he must have gotten criticism for that because on the very next day, he retracted that. 
and said he'd used a poor choice of words. And here's one more. Early on in March, he urged all of us not to run out and get masks, since it was only the health professionals who needed them. But one month later, in April, he had completely changed his advice, and he was asking all of us, urging all of us, to wear masks. He later explained that he didn't want us all to buy masks and create a shortage of masks for the nurses and doctors who needed them most. So he told us we didn't need them. That sounds a bit condescending, doesn't it? And not at all the kind of information that we need in order to make sound decisions. To be fair, there was a great deal that we didn't know when we first met this virus, but I would have felt a lot better and a lot more confident in the advice we were getting if he had said something like, we just don't know yet. To say something wrong and misleading in order to say something when you are supposed to be the expert, that's just wrong. Okay, time for a short break, but I'll be right back. My fellow Americans, you've watched for decades as radical Marxists have systematically taken over some of our nation's most cherished institutions. And like us, we're pretty sure you're not happy about any of it. But this is the America we now find ourselves in. AmericaOutloud.com is fighting back with one of the fastest growing conservative media networks in the world. Featuring some of the nation's most influential experts and commentators. It is a fight for the soul of humanity. America Out Loud Talk Radio is the voice of liberty and justice for all. Think back to the last time you felt healthy and energized. The best times of our lives occur when we're at the peak of our health, sleeping better, full of energy and focus. We know that fades with age, and you might be feeling the effects of aging as low energy and poor sleep. But it doesn't have to be that way. There haven't been any nutrition systems designed to rejuvenate our bodies as we get older until now. Healthy Cell Pro is the only multinutrient system that impacts the building block of your body, the cell. Created by anti-aging expert and Nobel Prize nominee, Dr. Vincent Giampapa. Award-winning Healthy Cell Pro cuts through the complexity of nutrition supplements by simply giving you the purest ingredients, filling dietary gaps to nourish your cells and enhance your quality of life for optimal performance. Visit HealthyCell.com and use code OUTLOUD for an exclusive discount or call 844-869-9958. Have you noticed that the anti-COVID measures in some of the states and the number of infections just don't add up? In California, for example, there has been a total lockdown almost since the very beginning of all this. And that state just passed the 2 million mark of confirmed COVID-19 infections. That makes it the state with the largest number of infected people in the country. That happened on Christmas Eve. Los Angeles County alone, which is the most populous county in the United States, has had more than 677,000 confirmed cases of the virus in one county. A friend of mine who lives there said to me, quote, I just don't understand when we've been doing everything right. 
meaning that they've been in lockdown for almost a year. And yet, California's governor, Gavin Newsom, is predicting that it's going to get worse. He said, we could have a surge on top of a surge on top of a surge in January and February. But we're not victims to that if we change our behaviors, unquote. What in the world does he want from the people of California? What more can they do in some parts of the state? Even walking is prohibited. I can't imagine what more demonic prohibitions he can come up with to further oppress the people of California when it doesn't seem to do any good at all. And then there's Texas, which has been fairly loose when it comes to lockdowns. That state has the second highest infections in the country. And New York, which has been almost as strict and completely merciless as California, has less than half of California's number of infections. So what's going on here? Well, the truth is, nobody really knows, and that's the problem. Do the lockdowns work? Do the looser regulations work? Do the harsher regulations work? It's hard to know, and there's really no science to explain it. Here's something we do know. The lockdowns are unhealthy in a different way. Mental health issues can be compounded in situations where people are isolated, or conversely, when they are forced to spend extended periods of time together in close quarters, like small apartments. This is complicated by the pressures of, let's say, having lost a job because of the virus, or having young children at home all the time when you're used to having them in school. Only the schools are closed. Or not being able to relieve the tension by going shopping or going out to eat when the stores and the restaurants are closed. Now we're at the end of year one of the pandemic. What can we reasonably expect in year two? Will it go away? Will it flare up and be even worse than it was this year? You know, when the Spanish flu hit us in 1918, the second year was far worse than the first year. But that was a hundred years ago. Back then, the microscopes were so primitive that they couldn't even see a virus, no less know what to do to destroy it. The truth is, and I've said this before, we don't really know, but we have an advantage today because we have two vaccines with more on the way that may help us to create that herd immunity that the scientists say we need to end this pandemic. And there are the therapeutics under development as well, and they will enable our doctors to treat patients more effectively with fewer fatalities. So we have a lot to hope for, and in the meantime, common sense, and a concern for those around us will go a long way to getting through this. My mom used to say, don't worry, this too shall pass, unquote. I hope you're right, Mom. We're all ready for that. We want it all to pass. Now, getting back to the stories of the elite. We've been talking about them for weeks. They somehow manage to get through and don't have to worry about going stir-crazy in a tiny apartment, and they can cheat and break the rules and get away with it, because they can. Their homes are large, sometimes huge, and somehow the rules don't really apply to them. 
So Governor Newsom, for example, was able to attend a large dinner party with a group of lobbyists at the posh French Laundry restaurant when he had told the rest of California to get together with people not in your own immediate families. It was okay for him, but it's not okay for you or me. And then there's New York's Governor Andrew Cuomo, who was always telling people to mask up, but he's rarely seen with a mask. And speaking of masks, quite a few Democrat politicians were maskless and in a crowd when they were celebrating Biden's so-called election. People like D.C. Mayor Muriel Bowser, Senator Chuck Schumer, and Chicago's Mayor Lori Lightfoot. And these are the same people who want to punish the rest of us for disobeying their mask and social distance orders who tried to keep us from going to church and our kids from going to school. But they're perfectly okay with the masses of people who congregate on their city streets without masks and without anything approaching social distance at BLM rallies. Their hypocrisy is stunning, and yet they don't see anything wrong with their behavior. The rules, you see, are for the little people like you and me, but not for them and not for the people who share their same lack of values. These are the same people, by the way, who pushed through the impeachment of a president they didn't like based on false charges and phony testimony. These are the same people who were willing to endorse a crooked candidate for president and were more than willing to support everything necessary to see that he won, including fraudulent mail-in voting schemes, crooked voting machines, and the counting of illegal ballots discovered, <laughs> discovered indeed, after the polls had closed. People who lie and cheat and steal in order to get what they think they're entitled to, at the expense of people who play by the rules, are what politics are made of. But it seems that it never has been worse than it is today. The Democrats spent the last four years trying to delegitimize the president who was duly elected without stopping to take a breath. They lied, they cheated, they broke the rules, and they made up their own rules. They even broke the law. But they hold the power. So they have not been stopped. And they have thrown the country into a pitched battle that is not likely to end well. Donald Trump has played by the rules. But he's raw, and he's outspoken. He says what he thinks, and he is basically honest, which is almost unheard of in a politician. But of course, he's not a politician, which is why so many people love him. And by the way, why he was apparently chosen as the most popular man in 2020. Because he has shown that unlike most politicians, which, as I said, he is not, he has the interests of the American people at heart. And as he has shown throughout his administration, we come first. So lying and cheating and stealing brings me back to the 2020 elections, which, to be honest, I'm so tired of hearing about and so tired of talking about, but honestly, it's central to the future of America. So we can't just ignore it. And here's the question. Can we allow what happened in November to stand? How is it possible that we voted for our president and he apparently won by a landslide 
And yet, and yet, the election was stolen from him and from us, right under our noses, by crooked politicians and partisan judges and people who will do anything in order to win, even if it means breaking the law and stealing the rightful votes of the American people. And the path for recourse that would normally be available to us, the courts, seem to be taking sides as well. They refuse to even look at the evidence. They won't hear the arguments. And the cheating continues even now in Georgia. What does this mean in the 21st century? What does this mean in 2021? What does this mean in America? We have always had confrontational elections. That's the nature of the beast. And traditionally, the candidates have gone after each other and created a choice for the voters that they took to the polls and they chose a winner. And then the politics got put on the shelves and everybody went home until the next elections. Friends generally stayed friends, however much they argued with each other before the election. But today, it's all chained. The left and the right can't even talk to each other. Families are broken. And even more important, never before have we reached a point where one of the candidates is seen as a real threat to the future of the country. In the 2020 election, the Biden-Harris ticket is seen by the right as a direct threat to our constitutional republic. And even a four-year term is seen as so damaging that America, as we have known it, might never recover. That means that if we cannot fix it, if the corruption is so pervasive and the dishonesty is so deeply rooted that even the legal system is beyond our reach, what then? Well, if we were Antifa or BLM or even just Democrats, what would we do? We would take to the streets and we'd riot and loot and burn and even shoot. But we're not any of those. I have a colleague who thinks that it's time for us to take off the gloves and play by their rules. In his words, take them off the streets. But I don't agree. This constitutional republic of ours must be strong enough to fight our enemies, even when they come from within. And in fact, that is what the founders who framed the Constitution were worried about when they wrote the first Ten Amendments. They wanted to ensure that we, 240 years later, would not have to fight tyranny in our own government. It is our destiny to take the trust that they had in us to be strong enough to use the tools they gave us in the Constitution to preserve the Union and save America. It is we, the people, to whom they gave those tools. Now, it lies with the House and Senate to protect the Constitution as they swore to do. But if they are corrupted by the power they hold, if the wealth that it brings them is too tempting, as it seems to be for too many on both sides of the aisle, then it is either the President who must be the power that saves the nation, and we the people must support him in every way we can. And if the president is unable to do that, then it is we, the people, to whom the founders 
gave the right and the tools to defy tyranny, even in our own government. The president has the tools given to him by the Constitution, and he also has the support of 80 million Americans. Now, there is a bill before the Senate now, and it carries with it a promise of a $2,000 check for desperate Americans who are trying to keep their lives and their families together through this awful pandemic. It was a senator, a Republican, and no other than Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell who blocked the passage of this bill. And no one, except maybe him, of course, knows why. The president made it clear that he wanted the $2,000 for Americans. As I said, he puts us first. But it was a Republican leader who blocked it. McConnell was the only one in the entire Senate who voted against it. But his vote was enough because Senator Chuck Schumer requested unanimous consent, which means that everybody in the Senate has to vote for it. And the benefit of that is that the vote is not recorded, but everyone must vote for the bill. And McConnell did not. After the vote, President Trump posted this message on Twitter. Unless Republicans have a death wish, and it is also the right thing to do, they must approve the $2,000 payments ASAP. $600 is not enough. Unquote. To be frank, this is the only part of the bill that I like, the $2,000, because it's so necessary. It's needed. People are suffering so badly, and it is only with this kind of help that they might be able to get through. I agree with the president. That $2,000 will go a long way toward helping people have some hope. It will give some breathing room to people who've been suffering from fear of the virus, from the loss of their jobs, their livelihood, the loss of loved ones even, and all the tiny little stresses that have made this year of 2020 so miserable for so many. McConnell owes the American people an explanation, and the Senate owes the American people an affirmative vote and release of the money. Now, before the break, I want to tell you one quick story that you might have missed. We've been spending so much time and energy on the fraudulent elections in the six key states that it was easy to miss this one. New Jersey. Going over the voter database in that state, some very interesting and, frankly, disturbing anomalies popped up. Nothing we haven't heard before, but still. In New Jersey, according to this report, some of the voters were nearly 200 years old. And there were more votes cast than there were eligible voters. We've heard that before, too. And there were voters who returned their ballots before they even received them. And there's more. But what does this mean? 
why would this even happen? New Jersey has been a solidly blue state since forever. Why would there be a need or even a desire to mess up the rolls and risk an invalid election? And no less interesting, by the way, is the fact that this story showed up in the Chinese version of the Epoch Times. Interesting, no? Well, it's time to take another break, but right after the break I want to share with you some of the other stories that have made the news over the past week. Like a huge explosion full of sound and fury and signifying nothing. New York cops who didn't get their vaccine for Christmas. And who should replace Kamala Harris in the U.S. Senate? These are the stories and more, so stay right there. I'm Alana Friedman, and you're listening to The Friedman Report. I'll be right back. Did you know the average person spends 26 years of their life sleeping? The real troubling statistic is that we spend seven years of our life trying to get to sleep, struggling with racing minds, tossing and turning. If you're one of the millions of Americans who need better quality sleep, the time to change is now. Sleep is proven to extend our lifespan, protect against terrible diseases like cancer, heart disease, and dementia, make us more attractive and thinner, feel calmer and happier, and boost energy levels, memory, and performance. Until now, most sleep supplements haven't worked, but a new easy-to-swallow sleep gel invented by the leading nutrition company Healthy Cell is designed to support all four stages of human sleep to help you fall asleep, stay asleep, sleep deep, and wake up refreshed. It's called REM Sleep. To get a free two-night supply of REM sleep, visit HealthyCell.com sleep. That's HealthyCell.com sleep. Here are a few stories that were breaking news just this week. Nashville, a quiet Christmas morning, and suddenly, probably before most people were awake, an RV parked in front of the telecom building and began blaring a message. If you can hear this, evacuate immediately. That would not be fun to wake up to on any morning, but Early on Christmas morning, it's obscene and bizarre. And it was serious because it exploded and destroyed several city blocks. Miraculously, only one person was killed, the bomber. That's a real Christmas miracle. And no one knows the reason that this man decided to make such a grand exit. Maybe one day we'll find some clue that will make his purpose a little clearer. But right now, all we know is that he was planning this. He told a neighbor that the world would remember him. But as far as we know, he left no note or manifesto, no trail of breadcrumbs. At least, not as we know so far. If you're like me, you won't even mention his name. Anyone who does something like that, even with such a warning, is a terrorist. And as far as I'm concerned, he shall remain nameless. Now here's another story, a New York story, and it's sad on its face. The New York police were scheduled to get their first COVID vaccine on the Tuesday after Christmas. But the day before, they were told that their vaccines would be delayed due to 
what they were told were state supply chain issues. Now, remember, this is New York. This is the state where Andrew Cuomo is the governor and the city where Bill de Blasio is the mayor. Police Commissioner Dermot Shea said this, As recently as last week or a week and a half ago, we were hoping that we'd get it now and into the first week of January. We're relying on the state and city Department of Health to advise us when we're in line. Unquote. Once again, the police are getting short shrift in a city that has already reduced their budget significantly. Shea's remarks confirmed a memo circulated Monday within the Detectives Endowment Association Union warning that the shots, the vaccines, would be delayed. The memo said in part, the state has not released the vaccine in the quantity needed for the NYPD. But New York's fire department EMTs began getting their vaccines last week. Why does this sound like more of Cuomo's shenanigans? Is this payback for some slight, real or imagined, that the egomaniac in Albany has with the NYPD? He was quick to complain about the president's slow supply chain and getting what Cuomo demanded from him in a hurry, if not yesterday. Cuomo will deny that this is payback for the police. Of course he will. But it has all the smell of his nastiness all over it. Just saying. And here's another story from the Golden State, the one that has lost a lot of its golden glow, California. If Kamala Harris is going to be Joe Biden's vice president, then California needs a new senator. And Governor Gavin Newsom knows just the guy. Oops, did I say guy? Well, there's the problem. And the people of California, well, some of them, the vocal kind, are up in arms because the governor has chosen for the person to replace Kamala Harris as their senator, he has chosen Secretary of State Alex Padilla as her replacement. So what's wrong with that? Well, it seems that Padilla is a he and not a she, and he is not black or brown. The fact that he is also a Latino doesn't seem to matter at all. It's not woke enough. How dare the governor pick a man to replace a black woman? Well, the fact that Kamala Harris has a black father, who incidentally is not at all a fan of his daughter's identity politics, and an Indian mother, meaning from India, means that her successor in the Senate must be a mixed-race woman of color. Period. No mention of qualifications. What qualifications? You see, it's the color that's important and the gender. Kamala Harris and Joe Biden stand only for what they can get out of their positions. When Harris was district attorney in California, she put many people in jail for marijuana infractions. But today, she jokes about smoking pot herself. These are the same double standards we've been talking about over and over again. What is okay for the elite is criminal for the rest of us. How is that okay? 
And here's another one from California. This one's from San Francisco, where the early shutdowns closed indoor dining for restaurants and bars. That was a huge loss for the owners of these places. But you know what they did? They invested their hard-earned money, or they took loans, so they could build attractive outdoor dining areas on the sidewalks outside their restaurants, dining areas that met all the social distancing requirements and the other anti-COVID rules, but were still very attractive and welcoming places to sit down and have a meal. So what did the powers that be do to these conscientious restaurateurs whose only crime was wanting to stay in business and provide a living for themselves and their staff? They not only shut down indoor dining, now they've shut down outdoor dining as well. There's no science behind this, my friends. Outdoors is about the safest place you can be these days. And outdoor dining in San Francisco can be a lovely experience. But not anymore, and not in San Francisco. So now, this is where the elite and the common man intersect. Because all these sidewalk patio areas, which are now closed, which were built and remodeled and created to give the diners a wonderful experience, these sidewalk patio areas are now closed to the dining public, but they're homes for the countless number of homeless people in San Francisco. And what was only days ago an attractive and inviting place to dine is now strewn with rubbish, needles, and human waste. How is that an improvement in our healthy alternatives? How have our state governors destroyed the livelihood of hard-working people who brought joy to the lives of the tax-paying citizens of San Francisco? There is no science behind these decisions. I know I'm repeating myself, but it makes me so angry because they're always saying, follow the science, follow the science. But there's no science here. In Los Angeles, there's now a regulation that you can't ride your bike or even go for a walk unless it meets the requirements of being essential, like going to the doctor. Why do I feel like I'm Alice in Wonderland, where nothing is what it seems, and nothing makes any sense at all? What is wrong with the people of California that they put up with this? What is wrong with them that they re-elect these jerks who are slowly taking away from them all their freedoms in the name of safety that is not backed by any science, and all the while ignoring their own rules, raising taxes, and destroying the cities that once made California one of the most beautiful destinations in the country. As the King of Siam said in the Broadway musical The King and I, it's a puzzlement. You know, one of Donald Trump's most important contributions to America and the American people during his four years in the White House was his commitment to America first. America first. That was his mantra when negotiating international deals with other nations and when he brought industry back to our shores from overseas. 
Now America may be facing another onslaught against our sovereignty, and with a Biden presidency, it might be a successful one. Do you remember when Donald Trump announced that the U.S. would withdraw its support from the United Nations Arms Trade Treaty that regulated conventional weapons, including small arms, battle tanks, combat aircraft, and warships? Trump said, quote, Under my administration, we will never surrender American sovereignty to anyone. We will never allow foreign bureaucrats to trample on your Second Amendment freedom. I'm officially announcing today that the United States will be revoking the effect of America's signature from this badly misguided treaty, unquote. At the time, Trump went on to say, Democrats have proposed banning new guns and confiscating existing guns from law-abiding citizens. What they don't tell you is the bad guys don't give up their guns, and you're not going to be giving up your guns either, unquote. The big fear with the UN Arms Trade Treaty was that they would demand control over the sovereignty of our country when it came to guns and countermand the Second Amendment. And although handguns are only a small part of what they want to control, it is important to millions of legal gun owners in America who want to continue to be protected under the Second Amendment. Well, now we are facing the prospect that the dismantling of the Second Amendment may be an important part of the agenda of the Democrat Party. And if Joe Biden is successful and becomes president, there is a good possibility that new gun control laws and even gun confiscation will be an important part of their mission over the next four years. The Democrats addressed the issues of private gun ownership in their 2020 platform. In part, this is what it said, quote, Democrats will enact universal background checks, end online sales of guns and ammunition, close dangerous loopholes that currently allow stalkers, abusive partners, and some individuals convicted of assault or battery to buy or possess firearms, and adequately fund the Federal 47 background check system, unquote. There's more, but what concerns me is what is not there, because if you remember the campaigns, the Democrat campaigns in the primaries, the candidates were fairly outspoken on the subject of guns. And here's the thing. One of the big issues for gun control supporters is gun registration. And what Second Amendment supporters say is that the reason for gun registry is so that when the government decides to confiscate weapons, they know where they are. This is what happened in Nazi Germany. This has happened in countries all over the world. Gun registry is the first step to gun confiscation. And gun owners in America do not agree that this is an appropriate position for any American party to take. And in fact, it is exactly what the framers of the Constitution were trying to protect Americans from. The text is very clear. It says the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. This is not ambiguous. But what is concerning is Biden's plan that went a lot further than the Democrat Party platform. 
his campaign website was very clear. He said, put America on the path to ensure that 100% of firearms sold in America are smart guns. That's a gun that recognizes the owner through a fingerprint or a special ring or something like that. And only that person can activate that gun. That's a smart gun. End the online sale of firearms and ammunition. Ban the manufacture and sale of assault weapons and high-capacity magazines. Regulate the possession of existing assault weapons under the National Firearms Act. Buy back the assault weapons and high-capacity magazines already in our community. Reinstate the Obama-Biden policy to keep guns out of the hands of certain people unable to manage their affairs for mental reasons, which President Trump reversed. Well, President Trump reversed that because it targeted veterans. You know, one of the things that really annoys me is when people who know very little about guns talk about assault rifles without any definition, and among other things, they want them banned because they sound scary, and they talk about an AR-15 as an assault rifle because it looks scary to a person who's unfamiliar with guns. An assault rifle is generally an automatic rifle. You press the trigger and it fires and keeps firing until you release the trigger. And it's also used in battle. It's not used for hunting and it's not used for target practice. An assault rifle is meant for an assault. An AR-15 is not an assault rifle. The AR-15 is simply a rifle with a different design. To put it plainly, a gun, like a car, is an inanimate object until you use it. And like a car, a gun can kill if it is misused. But it is only dangerous if somebody mishandles it, like a car. Here's an interesting little tidbit of information. Did you know that in 2019, 38,800 people died in car crashes in the United States. And in that same year, 38,000 people died in shootings. The same number. Slightly larger for car accidents. Interesting, no? My point is that a gun can be a tool for hunting, for protecting livestock against predators, for target practice, and for self-protection. None of these activities are inherently dangerous. My point is this. Guns can be scary to people who don't like the idea of guns, but their lack of comfort for things that they don't understand should not become a weapon against someone else who uses them properly and responsibly. My wanting to own a gun or guns as guaranteed under the Second Amendment should be my right. My responsibility, something that usually goes with rights, is to have proper training and to use my gun responsibly. When I was a kid, we used to say that my freedom ends where your nose begins. And it's the same here. Your discomfort shouldn't prevent me from exercising my constitutional rights. And there we have it. That's about all I have to say about guns right now. And as a matter of fact, I've run out of time. 
So I'm going to have to close up shop here, say goodbye for now. Thank you for spending this hour with me. You've been listening to the news magazine on the America Out Loud Network. I'm Alana Friedman, and this has been The Friedman Report.